All right, good morning once again. It's time for us to begin our, uh, our Bible class here this morning here in the auditorium. And I believe uh, Brother Eddie is printing off some more uh, lessons in case you need one here this morning. We're going to be in lesson number 61 this morning in our study of the life of Christ. And so if you're, uh, if you're new here this morning, uh, we have been going through the life of Christ chronologically uh, from all four gospel accounts. Uh, together, and we're in lesson number 61. So uh, we've been doing this for quite a while, and uh, we are, uh, again, if you're going to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in John chapter 8, basically, uh, the first section of John chapter 8, uh, finishing up at the end of chapter 7 into chapter 8. But uh, again, I believe Eddie is printing off some of those, and so he'll have those for you in case you need a copy of the, the lesson from the curriculum. In uh, the Life of Christ study number 61. But uh, kind of recap where we were uh, Wednesday evening in Lesson 60. Uh, we talked about the Jesus getting to the Feast of the Booths. Again, at the uh, end of, or excuse me, basically for all of uh, John chapter 7. So he arrives here at this great feast. Again, this is a seven-day feast with an eighth day added for an even you know, special um, celebration there uh, where the men are living in these booths that they create to sort of commemorate their time in the wilderness, their ancestors' time in the wilderness. So uh, there's a lot of this going on. There was these water ceremonies going on where uh, a priest would you know, carry some water from the, the Pool of Salom into uh, near the, the temple, and that was done daily. And Jesus is going to use that as an object lesson uh, we see in John chapter 7 as well. And uh, there was also those 70 bulls that were sacrificed that we talked about uh, a, a little bit that we see in the book of Numbers. Uh, how I think it was the first day they sacrificed 13, and then the second day it was 12, and 11, and then 10, and just kept going down. And so there was a total of 70 bulls that were sacrificed during that week. And so, again, this was a very um, sacred week. They also, it also had another name, the Festival of the Ingathering. Uh, it was harvest time, and so they're using this time as well to thank God, to pray to God, and thank, for, thank him for the great harvest that they had. So again, a lot of things going on here. And of course, uh, we re- recall that Jesus, uh, his brothers, uh, kind of got to him and said, hey, why don't you show up at the feast, prove to everybody you're the Messiah. And Jesus told them that, you know, this wasn't my time yet, but I will eventually, but then he eventually does show up, uh, we notice. And he knows that there are some of those in Jerusalem that are seeking to kill him. Remember the last time he was in Jerusalem, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And that caused a lot of people um, to get angry at him. They sought to kill him. And so now he's back in Jerusalem. Um, he's telling the people there that, you know, he knows that there are some there that are trying to kill him. Uh, they don't know anything about it, it seems, because they said, you know, Jesus, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Uh, but uh, again, he, he, he understands uh, he, he calls them out for their uh, hypocritical judging, right? The, he healed on the Sabbath, and they're trying to kill him, yet he brings up an example of how they are, you know, quote-unquote, doing work on the Sabbath when they circumcise a boy. Uh, remember, uh, a young Jewish boy on the eighth day was to be circumcised according to the law, and if that boy's eighth day fell on a Sabbath day, uh, they had to follow through with the law to circumcise him, but uh, that would have been considered work. And so they also worked on the Sabbath. And so they were violating their own laws um, doing that. And Jesus brought that point up to them, which, of course, you know, did that, did that make them even 
Uh, did that make them like him anymore, or did that make them even more angry? You know, of course, it's going to make them more angry. But the, you can see in this crowd that we talked about Wednesday night, there was sort of a split uh, thought about Jesus. Some were saying, uh, this can't be him. Right? We know where he is from. Right? We, we, we know his father and his, and his mother and his brothers. We know he grew up uh, among uh, the people there. They even said, you know, there's no prophet uh, who arose from Galilee. You know, and uh, of course, now that's wrong in that because you know, if we uh, maybe study some of our Old Testament prophets, we'd know that uh, Jonah was born from that region and Elijah was born in that region. And uh, one more, Nahum, I believe, was born uh, around Galilee. And so there were prophets who came from Galilee, uh, but they uh, accused, uh, or accused Jesus again of, <clears throat> of knowing where he is from. But then there were arguments uh, for Jesus being the Messiah. You know, the, some of the people were saying, no one's going to come along and perform as great of miracles as this man, uh, are they? And you remember, I don't think we got too much time to talk about this, but remember the Pharisees, they sent out uh, an armed guard to go and arrest Jesus. Well, the, the, those, those uh, uh, men come back to the Pharisees uh, empty-handed, and they said, never has a man so spoke as this one. Right? They were astonished at Jesus' teaching so much that they just they couldn't arrest him. They couldn't bring him back. Uh, during this discourse, Jesus said that you know, he is from heaven and that he is going to be going back soon. And then verses 37 through 39 were really the, the meat of our lesson on Wednesday where Jesus, uh, again, on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, he stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so, you know, that object lesson, again, of them seeing that water uh, ceremonies every day, and then Jesus brings up uh, his connection to water. You know, water is vital, it's important, and we know spiritually we need that thirst to be fulfilled. And Jesus is the only one that can satisfy that, that spiritual thirst. Um, but also notice the action verbs in that sentence, right? We must act on that belief. We must come to Jesus. We must drink uh, that water. And so uh, our faith, again, is based on those actions. And, and another, uh, another great lesson that we didn't really get to touch on either at the end of chapter 7 was Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? We first saw him probably a couple, two or three months ago in uh, John chapter 3. Uh, he is a Pharisee. He's one of these religious leaders. And remember, uh, when does he come to Jesus? Do you remember this? All right, he has, a, he has a meeting with Jesus at night, uh, this man Nicodemus. And you can kind of tell that he is interested in what Jesus has to say. Well, he's mentioned three times in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, and now here again in John chapter 7. And now we're noticing that he is leaning even more towards Christ. And uh, so he kind of sticks up for Jesus. Uh, verse 50, Nicodemus, who had come to him before, being one of them, said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows that he is doing, uh, knows he is doing, does it? And they answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So Nicodemus, we notice, is starting to turn more and more towards Jesus, right? And it seems as if he's sticking up for Jesus because they want to kill him. But, but uh, Nicodemus says, hey, first, let's try the man. Let's give him his fair uh, trial before we do that. And so 
Um, we're going to see him one more time at the end of John or at the end of the book of John, and we're going to notice that he is now a full-fledged disciple. That he's going to be helping out Joseph of Arimathea in helping to prepare Jesus's body and to bury it. And so uh, that's a great study in and of itself of this progression from this man Nicodemus. Uh, but again, that wasn't necessarily the point of our lesson uh, Wednesday. And so, in a nutshell, that's all that we covered. Uh, for John chapter 7. And so we're going to start in John chapter 7, verse 53, and move into John chapter 8, into the, this next passage. But before I get in there, um, I'm going to read a couple of passages to you from the Old Testament. And this is going to kind of get us to thinking about uh, our lesson here this morning. First, I'm going to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, verse 22. <coughs> And you'll sort of notice the theme of, well, let's go ahead and reveal the, the, the next section in John chapter 8 is Jesus dealing with the adulterous woman. So uh, let's read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, and notice uh, Moses records this. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Also, Leviticus chapter 20, uh, verse 10 through 16, expounds on this uh, idea. Uh, Moses here records, again, Leviticus chapter 20, starting in verse 10. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely uh, be put to death. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltness is upon them. If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed incest. Their blood guiltness is upon them. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them shall surely uh, committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltness is upon them. If there is a man who marries a woman and her mother, it is immorality. Both he and they shall be burned with fire, so that there will be no immorality in your midst. If there is a man who lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. You shall also kill the animal. If there is a woman who approaches any animal to mate with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltness uh, is upon them. And so uh, we can see from those uh, two passages that, of course, you know, God takes um, this... this uh, this concept, this, uh, this act, this sexual immorality, seriously. Right? Uh, we see that again, Deuteronomy 22, uh, Leviticus chapter 20. You know, what is one of those uh, Ten Commandments that God gave in Exodus chapter 20? Thou shalt not commit adultery, right? It's one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments. And so what was to happen... Uh, according to what we read in Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus chapter 20, what was ha happened to a person who was uh, caught, or to, the, to them who were caught in adultery? Death, Death right. And again, so uh, God puts a, um, puts a special importance on this uh, here in the old law. And again, what law is Jesus under uh, at this time in his life? He's under the old law, right? He's under the law of Moses. Uh, the New Testament Christianity, the law of Christ, is not going to start until Acts chapter 2. And so while Jesus is living in this life, he is a Jew. Uh, he is following the law of Moses. And so uh, these are the laws that were to be kept under uh, his 
um, his lifetime. And so we want to keep that in mind as we move on into our text today. And so let's read uh, John chapter 7, uh, 53. This is one of those times where the, the person who assigned chapter numbers uh, did a really bad job uh, in the Bible because we're going from John chapter 7, verse 53, into chapter 8. And so you'll notice what I mean when I begin here. But let's, again, start with John chapter 7, verse 53. Everyone went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without a sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. All right, before we jump into uh, the lesson text, there's probably something that we need to cover uh, before we get in there. Uh, At John chapter 7, verse 53, through... um, John chapter 8, verse 11, do you have something that maybe is a little peculiar to you? Is maybe that text in brackets, or maybe it's italicized in your Bible? I see some heads shaking yes, some probably not. And so this is, uh, we just want to notice this uh, before we move on, is that uh, I believe it's the the King James and the New King James uh, don't uh, show anything. Uh, There's no brackets around these words. Uh, They're just simply here in the scriptures. But if you have like the New American Standard, uh, as I'm reading from, if you're reading from the ESV, if you're maybe reading from the NIV, you probably have brackets around these texts or, uh, again, maybe they're italicized. And what the the translators are trying to tell you here is that – and maybe you have a footnote as well. Some of them have footnotes, like the ESV, I believe, has a footnote, and they'll say something to the effect of uh, the earliest manuscripts – uh, do not include uh, this section of verses. Okay, and so uh, we just want to note that again, as, uh, as some of these uh, some of these translations that we use are noting, letting us know that some of the earliest manuscripts uh, do not include uh, this account. Well, why is that? Well, you know, there's a lot of different theories. You know, probably one of the most most prevalent uh, theories is that there was a scribe who was reading this. And he just didn't like it, and so he, you know, he took it out. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that there's, I don't know how many of you have ever uh, kind of read about manuscript uh, evidence of, you know, the, the kind of the science to how we got the Bible. But, and I don't want to take too much time on this because this is a whole <laughs> different subject, but it's interesting to me. But uh, obviously the older manuscripts that you have, you know, the better the more reliable because they're closer to that person who wrote it. Right? We don't have the original copies uh, that Peter wrote or Paul wrote 
And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but that's probably a good thing because we would probably keep those, if we had those, we'd probably look at them as being some sacred, uh, you know, piece of paper or a scroll. And obviously we don't want to be worshiping that scroll or that, that paper. And so it's probably a good thing that those don't exist. But what we have are copies of copies, right? And there are literally thousands. I believe the last count was over 5,000 of these New Testament manuscripts that they're still continuing to dig up uh, from time to time. And so again, the oldest ones are the most reliable because they're closer to uh, the original source, right? And so uh, what some theorize, again, is that you know, maybe there was a scribe that didn't like this episode, and so maybe he didn't put that in uh, his copy that he was writing. Maybe he forgot about that section. Maybe he missed that section. Uh, whatever, whatever it is, uh, again, they're trying to let us know that you know, this section uh, is not found in some of those earlier manuscripts. But when we read it and when we test it against uh, everywhere else in Scripture, uh, you know, we, could probably, we, well, we can be uh, certain that you know, this was a true event, uh, that this most certainly took place. Uh, and so, and that's how we're going to treat it again, because we see the teaching of Jesus is consistent with the teaching of Jesus. The, the Pharisees and scribes are consistent with that. And so, again, we just want to uh, make, make mention that whenever you see maybe a, a verses bracketed, again, that's what that is in reference to. So the story, again, this is a, a great story that uh, I know a lot of us know. Uh, a lot of people outside of Christianity knows this story as well, especially uh, the verse 7 there that we read, and we'll, again, we'll talk more about that. But Jesus had just got done with this, this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, the next day it says that he goes to the Mount of Olives, and he comes back in to the temple to start teaching. And all the people um, are listening to him. Again, these are probably all the people in reference to all of those who lived in Jerusalem or are still there. You know, they haven't started to migrate home and so they're listening to the teaching of Jesus. You know, this is what Jesus does, right? He goes to the temple and, and teaches. And, uh, but in verse 3, here comes his enemies again. Uh, here comes the Pharisees. And they've got a trick up their sleeves. And so who do they bring? They bring a woman uh, who was caught in adultery, it says there. And uh, the way it reads, they caught her. You know, when, uh, you know, we can be probably certain that she was caught in this act, uh, that she was uh, committing adultery. And so they bring her to him. Uh, they do this why. Well, or what do they do? They, they put this woman in his midst. They remind him of what the law says should happen. And they also, they question him uh, concerning uh, what actions should take place, right? And so um, they bring this woman who has been caught in adultery and place her before Jesus and the people. What do we do, Jesus? You know, what does the law say? Now, what did John tell us there in that account? Why did they do this? To test him, to test him right? right? Are they concerned about the law of Moses? No, they're not concerned for their law. And again, we'll hopefully touch on that here in a bit. But they are simply trying to test Jesus, right? Because they know that they think they've got him, right? Because if Jesus says, you know, stone her, execute her, well, how's that going to be uh, trouble for Jesus? 
Oh, sorry? The part. The part? Okay, yeah. Uh, we'll get to that part in a second. Uh, yeah, that's a good point because um, we don't have the two there. But uh, specifically what I was thinking of is do, does you know, the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion, uh, they're living in Jerusalem, but they're under Roman rule. Right? They're under the authority of the Romans. The Romans are the police uh, state, the government of that time. Did the Romans allow the Jews to commit capital punishment? No, no. So uh, under Roman law, the Jews couldn't go through with you know, their capital punishment. And so they knew that if Jesus said, yes, you know, stone the woman, then they've got a way to get Jesus, right? Because they could just go to the Roman authorities and say, Jesus is... Um, planning to have this woman stoned, and you know, and then he would be in violation of their law. Well, on the flip side, if he says don't stone her, well, now they're going to get him with the law of Moses, right? Now they're going to get him with that aspect. Well, the law says that we should stone such a, a person, and so they think they've got this all uh, tied up, right? They think that you know, they've got Jesus in a perfect scenario. Uh, whatever he says, he's going to lose, and so. You know, there's a uh, you know question I kind of thought to myself here. Uh, you know, it's kind of incidental, but you know, how did these Pharisees know that this woman was committing adultery in the very act? Right? Was this a setup? You know, it's kind of sickening to kind of think about uh, you know these people that were trying to get Jesus to go at great lengths, and so. They come to Jesus, they bring this woman before her, they're trying to get him to answer. And so what's Jesus' first response there in verse 6? Did he say anything? He didn't, did he? It's almost as if he ignored them, right? He got down and started writing something uh, in the ground. This is the only um, occurrence that we have in Scripture of Jesus ever writing something. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things that we want to know. What is Jesus writing about? Uh, but they come to him, and he just simply basically ignores him. He gets down on his knees, and he's writing in the ground on the temple floor. I have a question. I think I want to go. Okay. Why didn't they bring the man to? Like, is it okay for a man to commit adultery, but not the woman? Like, they just brought a woman. Right. But if she was caught in the act. Well, can you wait until a couple more? Okay. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so the first instance, uh, he is writing on the ground. Uh, he's ignoring them. But notice again in verse uh, 7, what does it say about them? And they're asking questions. They were persisting in asking, right? They kept asking over and over again. And Jesus gave them an answer they did not expect. Again, he straightens up. He says to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I just want to touch on this uh, here briefly, that verse. Again, this is a verse that uh, a lot of people outside of Christ uh, even know uh, from you know, what they know of the Bible. Because that's one of those verses that you know, if you try to, um, try to help somebody in their life, if you try to correct somebody that might be doing something sinful, they might say, hey, um, don't, don't be throwing stones, right? Um, if anyone who is without sin uh, among us, uh, let him be the first to cast the stone. Um, <clears throat> again, it's sort of that, you know, I'm okay, you're okay culture that we see today. 
uh, that we shouldn't be um, you know, correcting, we shouldn't be uh, lovingly uh, disciplining uh, one another. And so they'll take this verse and say, see, no one's perfect, so you, know, you can't be throwing stones at me. Right? Is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he casting a blanket statement for um, you know, everything, saying in all instances, uh, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone? Yeah, I don't think so either. I think what Jesus is talking about is this instance right here. Right? He knows this is a test. Uh, he knows their hearts. He knows what's going on in their minds, even though we don't know necessarily. Uh, and so I, th- I believe what you know, he's saying is he who is without sin among you in this incident, right? uh, whoever, he, who, he who is around us right now, he who is without sin uh, in this trap, uh, you be the one to throw the stone. And so, um, <clears throat> so again, uh, I don't believe that Jesus is casting this blanket statement because there are so many scriptures that we could go to uh, in the Bible that talks about, uh, you know, of uh, judging, because uh, we just saw one in John chapter 7, verse 24, but to do it righteously, to judge non-hypocritically. And so, um, again, Jesus isn't casting a blanket statement here to, uh, again, not um, point out those things. So, Verse 8 tells us Jesus returns back to the floor and starts to uh, write on the ground again. And uh, the people start to file out, right? Uh, Starting with the older ones uh, to the younger ones, they start to file out. They know that, wow, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, he got us. We thought we had him trapped. We thought we had him. Uh, But they start to file out one by one. And then uh, Jesus asks the woman, when it's just the two of them, he asks her two questions. Where are they? And did no one condemn you? And then he gave her a direction uh, in verse 11. He said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus knows the hearts of the people involved in this. Uh, They're trying to test him. They're not concerned with following the law of Moses and how do, we do, how do we know that, Tara? Because they didn't bring the man, right? Remember Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, uh, that we uh, began reading at the beginning. <clears throat> Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two: If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Who's absent in this account? The man. Right, the, the man is not brought forth. You know, is he in cahoots with this test? Is he part of this? Maybe, maybe not. But in any effect, he's not here. Uh, he's not, and so they're not able to, uh, you know, carry out this, uh, this verse to how the Pharisees want them to do that. Right, and so Jesus, again, uh, he tells her at the very end, I do not condemn you either, but go. And then the, does he say, uh, go and have a happy life. Sin no more. Right? He, he told her, right? He gave her, he showed her mercy. He gave her a second chance, but he told her to sin no more. He was not condoning uh, her sin. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone her sin either. And so, again, this is one of those uh, lessons, and I know our time is fleeing uh, quickly. But uh, let's talk about some lessons that we can learn uh, from this text. Uh, number one, yeah. 
about things in the world they know about, and he was, and he was without sin when you let throw a stone at her first. They really fail to look at verse 11 where Jesus says, I do, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And they really don't understand, go and sin no more. They think they can just keep on doing that. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems with the world out there is that think when someone says, you shouldn't be doing this, that's sinful, they think, you, what are you telling me? But Jesus said, go and sin no more. I mean, Jesus says it, you're supposed to do what he says. Right. Yeah, it's quite, maybe what they're doing is they're trying to say that you know, adultery is this great sin. And uh, maybe what they're doing is not as bad as adultery. Uh, you know, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if you have a, a speck in your brother's eye, you, know, you need to pull that log out of your own first before you can go you know, and help him. And so, yeah, good point there that, again, that you know, he tells them or tells her, uh, again, uh, do not go and, and sin no more. And maybe we'll touch on that here again. Um, but uh, the first lesson, again, in the packet talks about this. And just very briefly, uh, you know, you'd think that Jesus, you know, just getting done with that, that week-long festival uh, of all the teaching that he did, you'd think he'd uh, be tired. You'd think maybe he'd want to take a couple days off or so. But we notice, again, uh, the text tells us the very next day he's back at the temple teaching, right? And so... Uh, if our Lord, if our God uh, could come down from heaven and, you know, go to work uh, in the field uh, on earth, uh, you know, to put in the hard work day after day, uh, doesn't that sometimes maybe put us to shame a little bit uh, to see, you know, how much he worked that he did for the kingdom uh, compared to uh, us? And so that's sort of the first uh, lesson there. The second lesson is... When Jesus was tested, again, how did he respond? We saw him responding with silence or maybe ignoring the person. Uh, we saw him responding with calmness. Someone comes at us accusing us of something. Is that how we respond normally? No, it, it's, it's, it's tougher for us, right? We don't like to be accused of things. We don't like people coming at us uh, with those things. But, you know, there's some... You know, again, I don't know what Jesus was doing when he stooped down on the ground and started to write. Um, was that his mechanism for keeping calm? Was it a way of ignoring them? Uh, some people have even speculated that he was writing their sins on the ground. And so that's why when they saw that, they started to leave. I don't know. That might be too far uh, of a stretch. But anyways, uh, we noticed Jesus didn't uh, react the way that they wanted him to react towards him. And you know, how, do we re how can you and I respond in a similar situation? Does anyone have any thoughts to that? We just uh, you know, keep calm like Jesus would. Uh, you know, again, that great example uh, for us. And uh, <clears throat> uh, did Jesus disobey the law of Moses? No. no. And so we've got plenty of examples to explain that, right? It, it, um, this was not his responsibility to carry this out. Uh, how many witnesses caught this woman? Maybe a trick question. Uh, we don't know, right? We don't know how many witnesses caught this woman in the act. And, but for the sake of time, if we went back and read Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, or Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, and also remember the lesson we looked at last week, uh, if, uh, if a crime was committed or something was committed against God's 
uh, law, the law of Moses, how many witnesses there, there need to be to the crime? At least two or three, right? And so, again, we don't know how many witnesses there was to this event. Uh, maybe there was only one. And so in that case, you know, again, Jesus couldn't uh, authorize uh, such, of a, such an execution. Uh, as we mentioned already, both the woman and the man were to be present. Again, where was the man? You know, Jesus is following the law. He's obeying the law of Moses by uh, letting her go, not going through with the stoning, if you will, because both parties were not there. Uh, who were to cast the first stones? Does anybody know that specifically? Who were to cast the first stones in, a, in, a, in an episode like this? Uh, yeah, the witnesses. Uh, if I can get here real quick. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from their midst. Did they need Jesus' authorization to stone this woman under the law of Moses? No. So again, this points to this being a test. This points to being a phony, uh, you know, sham of a trial, uh, if you will, because uh, they didn't need to go to Jesus and ask these things if they were to follow the law. And so uh, he allowed these individuals all to make up their uh, own decisions, to make up their minds. Uh, lesson number four, everyone needs a second chance, right? The law of grace that Jesus is establishing was different from the strict law of the Old Testament. And Jesus here, as he's done throughout uh, the gospel accounts, he is pointing people towards this new law, right? The, he's pointing them to his, uh, the insights of this new law, the law of Christ. Is there a place in heaven for this adulterous woman? Yeah, as long as what? As long as she does what Jesus tells her to, right? As long as she obeys the commands of Jesus. Uh, go from now on and sin no more. If Jesus is merciful, should we be merciful as well? Yeah, we won't spend too much time on that because we already looked at that a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 18 with the, the parable of the... Uh, of the two servants, the unrighteous servant. But again, uh, Jesus is teaching here, if he's merciful, then we need to be merciful as well. And uh, again, uh, sort of that last lesson is, you know, we see the evil uh, of adultery uh, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. It was punishable by death in the law of Moses. And uh, we also see, uh, you know, remember the fruit of the Spirit that uh, Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, right before that, we often forget that he lists some of those deeds of the flesh, some of those things that we shouldn't uh, do. And the first thing he mentions there in chapter 5, verse 19, is uh, adultery. Right? So it, it sort of leads that list that, that Paul has. So again, um, you know, this is something that, again, Scripture has much to say about. And so we, we covered uh, that whole lesson. I know we're running shortly out of time, but I appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, I'm very much enjoying these studies with you. Uh, Wednesday, we'll continue in Lesson 62. Uh, we'll move right into John Chapter 8, continue John Chapter 8. Uh, I believe it will finish the chapter, yep, verses 12 through 59. And we'll see Jesus' teaching on light and darkness. So again, appreciate your, your participation this morning, and then uh, Brother Jason's going to have our closing prayer for us.